you were here last week. Okay, good, a good amount of you. That's great. So I think, Brad, you started this series off last week, um, which um, we've called House Rules and uh, Guidelines for Biblical Relationships is uh, what um, we are looking at in the series. And then Brad started last week with uh, dealing with some of the earlier verses in Ephesians chapter 5 and would have spoken a little bit about the spirit-filled life. And so this morning I want to, uh, and Terry's going to be sharing as well, my wife, uh, we're going to be looking at the whole concept of husbands uh, and wives. And uh, how many of you here are not married? Okay, wow. (laughs) That's good. Don't worry, we've got something for you. (laughs) All right, I'm I'm not sure how many of you um, have seen there is a, uh, on TV, there is a, a, um, a program called Mythbusters. Are some of you familiar with that program, Mythbusters? Okay, some of you like it. And uh, uh, in that program on Mythbusters, there is one goal that the presenters have, and that is uh, to test the validity of some of the claims that people make. You know, you've got all of these movies, and they say, if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that's going to happen. So these guys go in, and they say, we're going to test whether that's for real or whether it's a myth or not. And uh, in a sense, I think that we've bought into some ideas about marriage and about husband and wife's relationships that also need to be tested, because I think they're just not true. And we're going to do a little bit of myth-busting this morning as, uh, as part of our, our sermon series, and uh, we're going to test some of the things that are being said about relationships between husbands and wives. So uh, let's read uh, what Paul said uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. By the way, I don't know how many of you know that Paul wrote about husbands and wives, but he was never married. (laughs) It's quite weird, eh? The guy giving us the advice that we're going to be looking at this morning, he never got married. (laughs) He was single his whole life. But here's the thing. Paul was able to read the account the very first account of marriage in Genesis. And so he had an authority for what he was saying. The same authority that you and I have when we talk about marriage, we go back to what the Bible says in Genesis. And then uh, Paul had obviously picked up the picture uh, of the relationship between the church and Christ as another picture of what uh, marriage is meant to look like. So let's read from uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 21. Most people start this at verse 22, but I want to start this at verse 21 because I think it's significant. Uh, If you look, it says they submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is speaking about all believers that we are to, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the reason we do that is because that's what the spiritual life is like. That's what it looks like in our relationships with one another. Then what Paul goes on and he applies that particular thing into the context of marriage. He says, wives submit to your husbands. And here I want you to just grab this, as to the Lord. It's not just submit. Because most people when they think of this whole thing of submission, they always just got this in a secular context. It is not in a secular context. It says, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of 
the body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ. See, we keep coming back to this as. I want you to get that. As the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husbands in everything. Then goes on, changes, begins to talk about husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You notice he keeps going back to this, this picture all the time and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. It says something about men and their bodies. Eh? He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So that's what Paul had to say about this husband and wife relationship. And as I said to you earlier on, what we want to do is uh, we want to play this game this morning called Mythbusters. We want to talk about some of the things that, that people say, particularly in Christian circles, that really need to be tested. And so I've got four that we're going to be looking at this morning. And the first one is this, and I've done this for an obvious reason. It's better to be married than to stay single. Have you heard that before? It's kind of, it goes something like this. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, and so it goes something like that. I'm sure you've heard it before. And, uh, and I think we need to start here because while being married is great, and I don't think that suggests married, being married isn't great, being single is also something that needs to be celebrated. <laughs> being single is also something that needs to be celebrated. I don't know if you remember, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul himself says, I wish that you were as I am, i.e. single. Where he's suggesting that being a single person is very, very satisfying because he said it is a gift of singleness that God has given to him. Now, I think there is a difference here between the gift of singleness and the gift of celibacy. And he's speaking over here, and, and if you read about it, he's speaking about the grace God has given to me to be single. There is a grace that comes from the Lord in singleness, which makes singleness something beautiful. It's something to be celebrated. And the reason Paul was able to celebrate this, because singleness is a valid expression of kingdom. And, and I, I'm saying that for a reason, because the problem arises, and, and it's very subtly suggested, there is something wrong with people if you are single after a certain age. There's the verse, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man is his own gift from God. One has the, this gift, and another has that. And it goes something like this. 
It's, it's okay to be single if you're in your 20s. It's not quite the same to be single in your 40s. And it's even less okay to be single when you're in your 50s. That's kind of how it goes. And, and, and then what happens is there, there's that subtle pressure that we need to help you find somebody special. Have you heard that before? It's like you've got people praying for you. You get in out too long in the tooth. You're on the shelf. And churches have got some weird names for ministries for singles that I think are derogatory. And I just want to say this morning, when we talk about husbands and wives, I want to say we also want to celebrate singleness. Because I think that is something in the kingdom context that needs to be celebrated as well. So that's our, our first one, the first one that I wanted to touch on. The second one is because you are a Christian, you're going to have a good marriage. No, 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 you don't laugh at this. There are lots of people that have kind of got, this is, if two Christians get married, it means they're going to have a good marriage. And in fact, it's probably true to say that marriage will put your commitment to Christ to the test in a way that many other things in life won't. If you're married, you know what I'm saying. And that's why we're given from Paul two of the most helpful instructions you could give to a man and to a woman who are married. This is what he says. Let's read it again. Let's remind ourselves again. Starts with wives, and I think there's a natural progression that's happening. Submit, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Applied into the marriage situation. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now ladies, I need to talk to you. Those of you who are not yet married and those of you who are married, it's not going to be one of the easiest things to do to submit to your husband because you're not married to an angel. <laughs> I mean, we try to do our best to look like angels, but... Do you, know, do you know that one of the interesting things about marriage, do you know that the Christian definition of marriage, it's one sinner married to another sinner? I don't know if you remember that. And so when, when God speaks in the Word about their wives submitting to husbands, just be real about what this means. Because I think sometimes you're putting a lot of pressure on us guys. He, he's, he's a person who's, who's trying to work out his faith. He's trying to work out his manhood, his career, uh, the kind of husband that he's supposed to do. These are all the things that men are trying to navigate. And then the Bible says, now submit to him. And that can be quite com complicated. In the same way, husbands are told to love their wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gentlemen, may I say this to you? I know your wives are going to try hard to look like angels, but you're also not married to an angel. You are, <laughs> you are in a relationship with a woman who is trying to work out her womanhood, her faith, and her calling. She's working through the expectations and the responsibilities that come with being a woman. And this is, by the way, all in the context of being married to you that she's trying to work all of this stuff out. That's a big challenge for her. And here's what I think Paul is saying. It's what you put in that counts at the end of the day. It's what you put in. 
He's, he's talking about what we're putting in. Uh, for, 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 for wives, he's saying, there's something I want to put in. We, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Is this thing called submission. And he's saying to men, there's something that I want you to put in. I, I want you to put love into this. Some of you may have heard of a book, and if we can go to the next slide, it's, this is the title of the book. It's His Needs and Her Needs. Uh, incredible book. They've sold over a million copies of this already. And if, you've, if you are married, you need to read it. If you're not married, you also need to read it. And what it talks about is, is just through uh, investigations that the author has done, Willard Holly has done, he has looked at some of the needs that women have in a marriage relationship and one of some of the things that needs that men have in a marriage relationship. And then he uses this incredible analogy that I really like that I want to share with you this morning. It's a thing called what he calls the love bank. You all... How many of you got a banking account? Right? Some of you got a bank. So, do you know what a banking account is? Okay. All right, so we know what a banking account is. It's fine to make withdrawals as long as there are deposits. Okay. And that's what, what he says in this book over here. He says all of us have got a love bank that exists between the two of us, husbands and wives. And there is this love bank. And he said, uh, we make deposits into this through the things that you do. So in other words, on Valentine's Day, if I buy my wife some flowers and say that I love you, that is a deposit. When I criticize her, that's a withdrawal. And what he says is, in life as we go along, we need to make sure that our deposits far exceed the demands or withdrawals that are being made. But he says what often happens in marriage relationships is this. You get married and you're making tons of deposits. You're nice to each other. You're looking nice. You're saying all the nice things. But then as time goes by, things start to change. And we become used to each other. And we know everything about each other. And then sometimes what happens is there are more deposits being made, rather more withdrawals being made than there are deposits being made. And you know what happens in a bank when that happens. You go into overdraft. And when you go into overdraft, you normally get a call from somebody at the bank and says, you're in trouble. And he says, if, you're, if that's happening in your marriage, you're in trouble already. And then he says, when you go too far into overdraft, they close it down. And sometimes what's happened to people, just very practically, we've allowed too many withdrawals instead of there being sufficient deposits. And we'll talk a little bit more about what those deposits look like in a moment. The way Paul describes those deposits, he speaks about husbands loving your wives and wives submitting to your husbands. All right, then the third, here's the third uh, one we want to look at. Submission is something that's no longer relevant. And uh, that's quite, what's quite interesting to look at the way that women are treated in different cultures around the world. Um, we've got the way that women are treated in our South African culture, and even in our own South African culture, there's a lot of diversity in the way uh, that women are treated. But there are places in the world where, where, which is a, a very male-dominated culture. Women, do you know that women can't vote in our modern world today in some countries? They have very little say, almost no opportunity to express their opinion publicly. In fact, there are some countries where women cannot even get a driver's license. Today. 2018. That still happens. And then on the other hand, we've got uh, what's been called 
the rise of feminism. Uh, and feminism really advocates for political, economic, personal, and social equality for the sexes. One of the challenges about feminism, if you follow that in the way that it works, it almost starts to blur the lines between male and female. And the whole gender issue starts to get a bit lost. And I want to remind you, the Bible celebrates manhood. The Bible celebrates womanhood. It doesn't blur the lines. It's not demeaning to be a woman. It's not demeaning to be a man. Listen to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them both male and female. If you're a woman today, you're created in the image of God. If you're a man today, you're created in the image of God. The Bible celebrates that. What I'm hearing in our cultures today, those lines are getting very blurred. And the moment you start to blur the lines, the things that God is celebrating, you're in trouble. And when we come to what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 about submission, this is not a subtle suggestion that women are inferior to men. Can I say that again? When it speaks about submission, there is not the subtle suggestion that because a woman is acting in submission, that she is inferior to her husband. What he's saying here is that a unique relationship exists between a husband and a wife, which is to be characterized by him loving her as Christ loves the church, and by submitting her submitting to him as unto the Lord. Notice the picture. The picture that we have here again is the picture of submission, our submission or the church's submission to the Lord. And submission to Christ is not a burden. I don't know about you, but it's not a burden for me to submit to the Lord. I do that willingly. I do that joyfully. Why? Because I know that He loves me. Because I know He's got my interests at heart. I know that He wants the best for me. I do not struggle to submit to the Lord. I want to submit to Him. And this is the picture of submission that we have over here. It's as unto the Lord. This is the, the picture that we have. This is the picture that puts it all into perspective. And there are two things I want to so speak about when it comes to submission. And then Terry's going to talk a little bit about it from her perspective. The first is... It is a picture that we have of the relationship Christians have with God. It is the relationship that Christians have with the Lord, where He is the head of the body, which is the church. And so what it speaks about, and if I can use this terminology this morning, a spirit of submission. We, we, I think sometimes when you talk about the submission thing, it's like this heavy-handedness, and you better do that, and you better do this. It, it is speaking about that between Christians, there, there is a spirit of submissiveness that exists. And in particular, between a wife and her husband. And that's why Paul says in, in, in verse 21, he said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not just a one-way thing. It happens between all Christians. But in particular, it's fleshed out in the marriage relationship. And the second thing I want to say about submission is that submission is a wonderful picture of worship. 
Because submission is something that's done as unto the Lord. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I want to say, one of the ways of worship is what we've just done here. And Al, thanks for that. I thought it was a meaningful worship time. But there are other places in which we worship God equally powerfully, and it's in the marriage relationship. This is a, a beautiful picture to me of, of people worshiping together now, not in this context, but in the context of home. And our understanding of submission has to be taken from the example of Christ and the church, not from some oppressive relationship that we've seen between a husband and a wife somewhere else that we know about. Guys, we've got to come back to the picture. The picture that's held up all the time is Jesus and the church. And if you do it in any other way, you've lost the sense of what Paul is talking about when he talks about submission. It's always as the church and Christ. That's the, the picture that we have. Now, I've asked Terry to come and talk about this a little bit from a woman's point of view, because I, you know, we always get the man that's saying it, but we need to hear what ladies have to say about it. And uh, so um, it was quite an interesting discussion we had as we were talking through the week about this uh, and what we were going to so come up on the stage. And uh, Terry started off, she said to me, how much time have I got? I've got a mic here. So I said, well, tell me what you want to say. And after she told me what she wanted to say, I said, well, you've got 30 seconds. She said, no, no, no. <laughs> yes, I'm actually looking at the watch, the, the clock there at the back. <laughs> And I'm hoping that I have got five minutes. But just to say, um, John is the preacher and he's excellent in terms of breaking the bread of life and giving you the theological understanding of everything. But I want to actually just bring it home in terms of how we apply it in our lives and how I apply it in my life and in my, our marriage as well. And the myth that we want to absolutely bust this morning, and I really mean this from my heart, is the myth that submission is a yoke. It's a heavy yoke and burden. And actually, we cannot get around the fact, even if we look at the Strong's Greek interpretation of the word submission, it doesn't come across very nicely. I want to actually break the yoke of the word submission from being a yoke to an incredible key to actually access that love bank of God's blessing. So if you can, in your minds, I just have to read just for your, because um, I said to John, well, give me the, the, we can't get around it. The dictionary actually says it's to yield to the control of another, to allow to be subjected to treatment, to present ones, to present for others consideration, submit, surrender, resignation, obedience. And often when we go to weddings and John is preaching and he starts to speak about submission in terms of the wife submitting to her husband, I can almost feel this like, like the woman, like, oh no. <laughs> and you know that sometimes at those weddings I want to get up onto the stage and say, Girls, you have the most incredible key to God's blessing in your life. It's not a heavy burden. And so just in terms of, I've, I've read the, even the Strongs, the 40 
occurrences of the Greek word is to arrange under, under, to subordinate, to subject, to put in subjection, to subject oneself. When I became a Christ follower and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I was 17 years old, and the desire of my heart was really just to walk in obedience to Jesus, to get to know him more, to learn to love him and walk in his ways. And Ephesians starts off with, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself for you. And so as John shared from those scriptures in Ephesians, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. I, in my personal life, that's where it starts for me, is, Lord, I just know that you love me unconditionally. I know that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. I know that you want what's best for me. You have plans and purposes to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me hope and a future, Jeremiah 29. And so in starting my day and just aligning myself, there's this desire, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to grow in your likeness and I want to please you. And the love language of God, and we all know it from that book, The Five Love Languages, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So God's love language is, if you really love me, show me by just obeying me. And the word of God just tells me to submit to my husband. And I actually used to also think it's just listen, even if you don't agree, just cooperate, keep your mouth shut, have a good attitude. I really used to think that. Until I got married and God began to impress upon my heart, no, this is a key to the next verse. Unlocking the key of your husband's love is submission to God first. Because God's blessing comes into our lives if we obey him. And so, if you can, have you ever been locked out of something really that you want? Has, have, have you ever lost a key and been locked out of a place, your car, you can't get in, you can't go anywhere? Well, I had the huge disaster last Christmas Day when I was locked out of my own house before the, the morning service. And I had, I had, wanted to unload something out of my car. I had 12 people for Christmas dinner. It was half past seven in the morning. John had already gone to the first service and I was unloading things into my car. I was dressed up in the, to the nines for Sunday church, new gold shoes, gold belt to match and all the rest. And I had taken all these things into the house and then left my cell phone, my keys and everything in the house, gone back for the second load because the car was open and the wind blew the door shut. Everything that I needed was in that house. I couldn't actually open the gate to walk to the church two kilometers to get the keys. I tried to flag down. I called over to the neighbors. I thought if someone could just tell John I'm locked out of my house. I couldn't phone anybody. I waved at passersby in the street because, and they thought I was wishing them happy Christmas. <laughs> wave back, wave back. Do you know, the, the meat, the roast was in the oven. The people were coming for lunch. I couldn't get to church. I couldn't phone. I called the neighbors. I was so desperate. We've got high gates with spikes. I couldn't climb out. Eventually, I had to pull a huge big pot plant and climb over a vibrocrete wall. I was going to break the law to get into my house to get the key. That's how desperate I was to get the key. To cut a long story short, I didn't have to break a window. The security gates were all over our doors, but John had left the 
door inside and with a stick I was able to catch, get a, the key of one of the doors and get in. But you should have seen me climbing over a six foot vibrocrete wall in all this. It was such a desperate situation. Now I want you to remember that story because for you to enjoy the blessing of God as a wife who, whose husband has been commanded to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. When submission comes into your heart and life and you learn to do it with love and wanting to bless and encourage and be the helper, the helper is to bless, encourage, build up, complete her husband. In order to do that, submission becomes the key to this incredible love bank the love bank opens when the key of submission is used. Time is gone, and I could share more, and I can't because I've gone over my five minutes. But I want you to just break the myth of the yoke and turn it into your minds into a key of enjoying God's blessing in your marriage, enjoying God's blessing in your relationship. And how does it look like for John and I? Quickly, I have to share this. So if we don't, if we're discussing something, whether it be what color to paint the lounge or what it, where to spend money, or how to spend our time, or who to see, or where to go on holiday. This is what it looks like. The word submission actually means to present to others for decision. If you're building a new house, you have to submit your plans to the municipality for consideration. So I will come, John and I will discuss something. I will present, and that's where you have to be honest as a woman and a wife. Present your desires and your heart's plans and your what you think. Present it for consideration and discussion. Before the Lord, you should do that every day anyway. So that's where my starting point is presenting before the Lord the, the plans that, that I need to, that I want for my life. It's to present it for consideration. So if your husband really loves you as Christ loves the church, he's going to want the your best for you, he's going to want God's best for you, and then you leave it there. And if the decision can't be made, you just keep presenting it to God, and God's will will be done. Because if this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us when we know we have the petition we've asked of him. So I present it to the Lord, I present it to my husband, I surrender my plans my will and my desires to my husband and as he loves me as Christ loved the church and gave himself for me and if it doesn't work out the way I think it should I'm still in surrender and submission to my father joyfully willingly because you know what the blessing's going to come anyway in obedience to my father the blessing is going to come Okay, um, time is almost gone, um, so, but we want to go to the last, um, the last uh, one that we want to look at, and that Christianity is robbing man, uh, men of their manhood. Um, and uh, uh, there was a few years ago, there was a book written by a guy by the name of John Eldridge. Uh, it was called Wild at Heart. I don't know how many of you heard of that, uh, that book that was uh, written. Um, and and I, I had a look at just some of the writer, but it says Christian men are invited to to recover their masculine heart. In other words, they've lost something. We need to recover it. It means that something that's got lost along the way. And here's a bit of the write-up. It says, every man was once a boy, and every little boy has big dreams, 
and dreams of being a hero, of beating the bad guys, of doing daring feats and rescuing the damsel in distress. And when you, you look at the, the kind of picture that we've got of husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church, it might suggest that he's become this tame, meek, mild kind of individual who's soppy and oversensitive. Because sometimes I see men becoming that who are Christians. And that's never God's idea. It's interesting if we look in our, I don't know if you looked at how the South African uh, culture portrays uh, manhood in the media. Uh, he's got a six-pack. Uh, he's very successful, he's sporty, he's career-orientated. And we don't really see this model that Paul presents here, this model being presented in our culture today. The picture that we're given of Christ loving the church is the one that we to look at when husbands are loving their wives. And I think there's two things that Paul's touching on. The number one is this, that love is not just an emotion. It's also an attitude and a behavior. I'm not saying it's devoid of emotion, but it's, I think our culture has landed love strongly and firmly as being an emotion. So what I have, uh, when people come and see me that have got marriage problems, they use this phrase, I don't love her anymore, or I don't love him anymore. You know what they're saying? The feeling's gone. It's always they're talking about the feeling. The Bible doesn't speak about love just being a feeling. It's an attitude, and it's also an action. And I think one of the best places, when I was thinking about this message, one of the best places to see love in action is the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, we often look at the cross as the, well, Jesus getting crucified. Well, I hope none of the guys are going to get crucified for loving their wives. But it is the picture that we use. But I, the better picture to me is the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus is aware of His Father's will and His plan for His life. And, and there is something inside of Him in that moment where he, He's saying, Father, if there's any possibility of this being another way, that I don't have to be crucified and hang on the cross. But then He says these powerful words, Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. Friends, that's a picture of loving your wives. There comes a time, maybe in your flesh, where you don't feel like it, but there is a place before God where you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's a picture. And secondly, Paul is describing Christian love as something very sacrificial. You see, our culture, the, in our culture, as soon as it becomes costly, people bail out. I don't know if you've noticed that. Even if, you, even if there's an invite on social media to a thing, people kind of, it's yes, in, but if anything else. It's like if it's not as nice as something else, I'm into the something else that's nicer. And unfortunately, that's crept into the church. And we've got to be aware of the fact that when Paul speaks about this Christ-like love, he's saying, as Christ did. And Christ did something incredibly sacrificial. Now, you're probably getting quite worried because... It might seem as though there's no place for romance and fun for men who are married. And of course, that's not the point. Real married men are lovers. Real married men are passionate. Real married men want their wives to blossom. Real married men will put some effort into seeing this happen. That's the picture that we have over here. As I finish up, Terry, I know if she'd had another 10 minutes, we'd have loved to share a little bit more 
on the practical side with it. But I, I, I asked myself the question, if men are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church, how have I put that into practice in my own life? You see, it's one thing to talk about the principle, it's another thing to talk about it in practice. And just a, a few that I, that I thought of from, from myself. Number one, for me to love my wife as Christ loved the church is to support Terry in her calling. You see, we are two different individuals and we are wired differently and we have very different callings. If you speak to each of us, you'll discover that I have a slightly different calling to what she has in her life. But I need to be there to support her in her calling. I need to get behind her uh, in what God has called her to do. That's a very practical way for me of, of expressing love. There are times where I need to step into the gap so that she can do what God has called her to do and vice versa. The other one is, another way is, is through service and serving. Now, one of my wife's love languages is service. So if, you, if I make supper for her, it's like I'm King Kong. <laughs> Ask her, it's true. Am I right? It's like you'd think I'd bought her a house. So I've learned that some of the little ways in which I do things, uh, if I'm going to serve, it's a real blessing. She feels loved when I serve in different ways. Another way is time together, spending time together. Now, I think you're aware of the fact that we're both in full-time ministry, and so there's some very weird hours that we have to follow, and we're, it's very different to everybody, everybody else. And so we have had to choose to make time together, and we, and we do that in two ways. Number one, every single Monday, I take my wife out for coffee, or if I can afford it, for breakfast. Every single Monday. It's a date we have. You have to die to break that date. And I'm serious. I think we've been doing that for, what, 20, 30 years? We've been doing that. And we discovered that what was happening is because of the nature of ministry, all of the time we had together was slowly getting drawn away because of the demands around about us. And we made a decision some years back and we said, we will devote, have a devoted time together. It's not a time for me to go and hang out with my friends. It's my time to hang out with her. That's what the devoted time is all about. So that's another one. Then another way is to listen. Terry loves to talk about what's on her heart, if you know my wife. It's her way of dealing with things. And so I don't need to give her advice. I just need to listen for a long time. And... It, <laughs> But you laugh. It, it is a, it, to me, it's a very practical way that I show love. Gifts. I love to buy my wife gifts. Um, the things that she needs, especially she appreciates that the most. But there are times I like to spoil her. And that's been a little bit hard because Terry's very careful with money and always thinking about the poor. So in every time I buy a gift, she's saying, no, no, I don't think that's too expensive. But I love to bless her with gifts. That's, I guess, part of who I am. Then protection. Second lastly, I like to keep an eye on, I'm not talking about physical protection, how she's doing emotionally and spiritually. And there are times I need to go into the room and I just need to say, put it away and pack it up. And it's time for you to chill out. And, and watch over your wives emotionally and spiritually, a very important thing. And then the last thing is this, and then I'm finished. I make sure that I'm in a good space with God. You see, the overflow of my life is what she gets. The Bible speaks about Jesus through the washing of water. 
And if you notice the biblical picture again, there's the washing of water. And there is a washing that comes out of my life, over her life. She is washed by my life. And, and I have discovered for me, just maybe because of the nature of, what I, of what, who I am, the nature of what I'm called to do in ministry, it can be really stressful sometimes. And so I had to go often before the Lord and say, God, I need you to minister to me. Otherwise, I'm not going to be a very nice person today. And so for me, there's been uh, an absolute priority of making sure my walk with God is good because that overflows into her life. And so those are just some of the practical things. When we talk about this thing of husbands loving your wives, I think it's very practical. And, you know, buying her a flower every day and and carrying on like a hooligan is not going to cut it. It's got to be very practical. And for those of you that aren't married and one day will get married, I trust that what we've spoken about today, God has given us a beautiful picture of marriage, the relationship between a husband and wife. It's something we need to work out. We're not going to be perfect at it until we get to heaven. But God has given us the Spirit and God has given us good instructions. And so today, I want to just pray for all of us that we will embrace not our culture, but that we'll embrace the culture of the kingdom because it is beautiful in the way that it works. Let's stand together. I think as we, as we close off in prayer this morning, all of you in, are in a different space. Some of you are married here. Some of you are hoping to get married. Uh, some of you are not even thinking about getting married at the moment. Um, but we want to remember that God has a plan for our lives. And whatever plan God has for our lives, it is good and it is full of grace. If you are single here this morning and you're not in that space yet of, of, of being married, I want to say to you, God gives you grace so that singleness is good. If you are married, God gives you grace so that being married is good. Because everything is about people, people like you and me walking in His grace and by His Spirit. So, Father, I want to thank you today that you care so much, love so much people like us who are making our journey through life. Father, you know us deeply and intimately. You know our personalities. You know our characters. You know how we respond in this way and in that way. And, Father, you continue to just pour out grace on your people. And, Lord, it's always amazing to me that you're a God of great grace. And so, Father, I pray for the week that lies ahead. Give us the ability again to walk in your grace. To be full of your Spirit, in submission to your Spirit. And, Lord, to be a blessing to those around about us. And Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.